This is Top Floor episode 22. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 22. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. Curtis Crimmins did his time in the hotel business with positions as concierge, sales manager, director of sales, and general manager. He opened hotels and worked in development, all the while feeling that there had to be a better way. When the pandemic left thousands of hotel workers jobless and hopeless, Curtis pulled the trigger on his hotel company, Roomza. Self-styled as hotels that are a dream come true for workers too, Roomza is a hospitality startup with a unique value proposition. Today, Curtis and I are going to talk about how he and the Roomza team are marketing their vision for a brighter future in the hotel business. But first, we need to answer the call button. The emergency call button is our hotline for hospitality professionals who have burning marketing questions. If you'd like to submit a question, call or text me at 850-404-9630. All right, Curtis, you ready? Today's question comes from Noreen. Noreen says, I own a portfolio of five hotels and I plan to hold them for a long time. What are some technological advances I should invest in for the future? I know this is right up your alley. And so you have to give Noreen some good advice because this is not right up my alley. <laughs> okay. Hi. Thanks, Susan. Uh, and thanks for your question, Noreen. Ultimately, I think I'd look for things that have longevity and that are kind of brand agnostic. Some things that come to mind are things that, you know, and, and things that directly impact your employees' experience. Because, like we're going to talk about later, I'm sure, I think that better hotels start with better hotel jobs and better guest experiences start with better employee experiences. And so, things that are employee centric that take some of the weight off of their shoulders and allow them to give the guests a more frictionless experience. There are some, there are a ton of products out there that are really innovating how to deliver that guest experience and still to cope with things like COVID and stuff like that. As far as hardware, I think things like door locks, in-room technology that allow for streaming to the devices of guests. The average guest travels with five or more Wi-Fi-enabled devices. They really don't care so much about cable anymore. So just things that remove friction from either your internal guest being your employees or your external guest being your paying guests experience. That's where I'd put my money as a hotelier today. This is maybe a little bit off the topic, but do you think that TVs in guest rooms will go away? I've been thinking about this so much. I never turn on a television in a hotel room. I don't either, except when I do. So, you know... <laughs> I, I, and when I do, I hope it has, you know, streaming services and stuff built in on it. So I think that televisions are somewhere that we can add a lot of value still. 
Um, I think that we just have to innovate along with with everybody else. The the cool thing is televisions are so so cheap that I don't think they're going to go anywhere. If it costs us only three hundred dollars to put a sixty inch Samsung TV on a wall of a room, why not? It's cheaper than art. We're always going to take that bait, probably. And so <laughs> I think the real question is, like with everything, how do you make it add real value to you know to the guest experience? And we'll talk a little bit about how we think that guest room televisions and that technology could be leveraged better. Excellent. Well, I was a director of sales and marketing for a decade. My first hospitality jobs were in restaurants. So I still think of myself as an F&B person, even though you know I've owned a marketing company for 13 years. You were a hotel general manager for many years and you've held a variety of positions. Do you... Consider yourself a rooms person, an F and B person, sales ops, something else. Um, I I think that my gut answer is rooms because I mean I call my company a derivative of that. <laughs> I think that that's probably my gut answer, but really, truly, it's ops, right? It's it's the people behind it. Truth be told, I never really thought very much about the guest experience. Not to say that I didn't care about the guest experience. I just didn't spend a lot of my bandwidth or time thinking about it because my thinking has always been, if I make a great employment experience for these folks, then they're going to make a great guest experience. That's I, I think that's the future of this industry. It's also why I've been told that I'm a very bad general manager because <laughs> I put the people first. But you know uh, what, what I can say for that is... You know, were the margins always as great as they could have been? No. Were the hotels profitable? Yes. People were happy. And that reflected across the board um, in everything but the owner's bank account. Interesting. This leads nicely into my next question. I really believe that there is a disconnect between the hotel business. So meaning the running and operating of hotels... And the business of hotels are sort of the real estate development side of the industry. When and how did you become aware that there were two sides to that coin, that you weren't just operating the day-to-day business of a hotel? Yeah, I, I think it's something that we are all sort of aware of, even if we can't articulate it well. Think about reflagging or the bank owning a property. We all typically know that if the bank comes in and takes ownership of the asset itself, that the hotel still operates and that we are not really affected by all that. So we get that there are two worlds to it. Um, I think that whenever I finally understood what that looked like was when I was involved in a multi-million dollar PIP as a general manager. And I got to really understand and, and see from the ownership's perspective how they were making those decisions and the difference between net operating income and net income. And in the hospitality industry, our calculation for net operating income doesn't include some things like depreciation and amortization that would be included in like an EBIT margin in another business that we do include in our net income. So sometimes as general managers, we don't have, or directors of sale or sales or whatever, we don't have a lot of insight into the true bottom line nature of the business. Getting to see that really helped me see it more holistically. And it also helped me understand why hotels often operate at a loss, but still the people still are able to, to get something out of their investment is because their long hold period and you know their terminal exit strategy overwhelms any operating losses that happen during that same period. I'm going to ask this question, but I want to give a little bit of 
backstories. This is a follow-up to that. So I remember sitting at my desk in hotel after hotel, hearing whispers and things like the hotel is for sale or the you know management company may be flipping or the flag may be flipping and feeling like truly that that was the end of the world because I had no concept of what a disposition strategy would be for a real estate investor, right? Do you think there are benefits to making those things more transparent, more interwoven into 100%. the operation? You do? One, 100%. I, I think some people feel like it's not important because... You know, people in operational positions believe that they are in a service business when, in fact, they're in a real estate business, and the service is the product being sold. I don't know. It's just, it just is, I think, hotly debated. Well, I, I don't know what the debate is. You know, really, those are probably the same people who think the general managers are more critical to the operation of a hotel than housekeepers are, and that's just not an argument that I'm willing to have <laughs> because it's nonsense. And so, you know, I think take away the housekeepers from a hotel. What do you have? Not much of a hotel. Take away the building take away the physical space and what are people buying from you? You don't have a conduit to deliver that service. Electricity is great, but without wiring, it doesn't do anything. Electricity has existed since the beginning of the universe, but it didn't do any good until we figured out a way to harness that. And the real estate's how we harness that. Why did you go in the hotel business? Uh, Because a hotel room was the first place I ever felt safe ever in my life. And there's a long, complicated story behind that. But the short version is... It was abusive at home. And my mom was a hotel housekeeper during that time. And she took me to work with her so that I didn't have to you know, endure it so that she could keep an eye on me and make sure that I was safe. But it also enamored me to this space and to this, you know, the all white linens that matched and the smiling people that were on vacation and the luggage racks. And, you know, nobody had a bad day in a hotel. There was a pool and I fell in love with it. And so I was naturally drawn to it, even though my initial start trying to get into the business um, was pretty negative. I was told that I was too gay for a front desk um, in South Georgia. And so, but I didn't let that stop me, right? I was determined. (laughs) I was determined because I knew just like, I think that the buildings are the conduit that allow us to bring our service to life. So you grew up, as it were, in the hotel business, and I know have visited a lot of hotels. I want to level set our conversation and make sure that it's really clear what rooms it brings to the table that's different or what rooms it doesn't bring to the table that's different. So can you describe how your concept is different from most hotels that a guest could check into tonight? Yeah, well, a a lot of things are the same. I think that when you get to the door of the hotel room itself and then you check in and and, you you open the door and you go inside, from that point forward, everything is kind of the same or maybe even a little bit better, we hope. But before then, the big difference is that there are a lot fewer steps to getting you into that room. So I think that today, hotels operate with the hotel in mind, which can be problematic for the guest experience when people are looking for flexibility more than anything else. Can you say more about that? Operate with the hotel in mind, meaning the physical building or the entity? I think we're talking about the business, right? It's it's what works best for the operational cadence of the business, what policies protect the margins of the business. And you know that makes sense. Every business operates that way more or less. But I think in the hospitality sphere, we have to be especially aware of how that's adding friction to the guest experience and do our best to innovate around that when possible. So what we've done is, is 77% of people don't want to go to the front desk 
A majority of people don't like forced interaction. Plastic hotel keys are awful for the environment. And, you know, not to mention these hotel amenities that everyone raves about more often than not aren't what we expected them to be, right? Regardless of how well a swimming pool photographs, when you get there, there's a league of eight-year-olds with their goggles on that are not going to be leaving anytime soon. And the reality (laughs) is over 70% of people don't get the opportunity to use those amenities, even if they're there. But you're paying for them. So at Rooms of We often charge about the same rate, but the way that we allocate and spend that money creates a far better experience for our hosts. And we call our on-property staff hosts because we think that that adds a lot more dignity to the work that they do and and honors them in a special way. When did you begin to conceptualize Rooms Out? I guess, what gave you the idea? How long have you been thinking about it? Can you tell me a little bit about the inception of Rooms Out? Yeah, well, I've always thought that the best part of a hotel shouldn't be the lobby. It always frustrated me. And then whenever I developed hotels, especially, and I saw the budgets for what we spent on these public spaces and the budget for what we had for each guest room, it never made any sense to me. And when you add on top of that, the way that I think we're forced to pay our folks because of the business model that we're you know shackled with, I don't think it makes for a recipe for success into the future. And I've always been passionate about trying to find a way around that. So I just created Roomza, which is Roomza means rooms only. There is nothing more to the hotel than the rooms. You choose them from a virtual floor plan. You go directly to the room. There are no plastic keys. It's a four-digit code that lets you in. It's just as simple as that. You, I, you verify your identity on the app. There are no deposits. There are no charges. There are no fees. What you see is exactly what you pay, and there are no surprises. And so what we started thinking about this, uh, I started thinking about this the beginning of the pandemic, mostly because I was at a venture capital-backed hotel startup at the time that was in the process of laying off thousands of people as a result of the impending pandemic. And that just really gutted me. Long story short, I created Roomza as a concept because I wanted to have a way to give my friends jobs, the people that I was laying off. I wanted to give them something. And I knew that I had this passion. And I, and I don't know, I just had a gut feeling that this was the moment and, and I had a moral obligation to do something about it. I, I, this is my very first you know, foray into anything entrepreneurial. I'm certainly not the guy who does things like this. But I think that you know, people like me as a kid needed that because the dark side of my story and falling in love with hotels as a kid is that if my mom had had a better job, maybe she could have left that guy. And maybe it would have saved both of us a lot of trauma. And there are a lot of moms out there and there are a lot of dads out there. There are a lot of people out there that need us, the people that call ourselves leaders in this industry. They need us to innovate. They need us to create better opportunities for them. They need us to do more than just put up copycat hotels that all look the same, these boxes of ticky-tacky that rely on minimum wage labor. And then we go and wring our hands every time someone tries to advance legislation that does something to protect them. We can't think that that's going to be the way that we can continue to make money and build prosperity into the future. Do you think that your mom knows how much she inspired you? I tell her all the time, all the time. And what's her reaction? Well, she tell, if you live within a 50-mile radius of my mom, she's told you about me. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I love that too, right? And I think that how many of us have gone to work in this industry and felt defeated? You know, how many of us have wanted to do more but couldn't? 
have just, you know, had the winds at our faces, but forced to put on a smile and force, you know, and not, it's nothing forced if it's a bad thing, but, you know, we have a job to do, but that takes a toll on us. And, and I think it's time that we address that as an industry. It's crazy to me that the most innovative thing that could happen to hospitality is that we restore dignity to the people who are the backbone of this industry. If you are a leader in this industry and you have enjoyed a profitable career, it is the sweat and the fruit of the labor of the people that I'm talking about that put you there. And consumers agree with me. You know, a lot has been said about the human desire to connect face-to-face and that nobody likes virtual, um, which I do not agree with. As So, you know, this is, oh, we've got to get back to face-to-face travel and conferences and all that stuff for the last two years. Rooms of properties do not include communal spaces. Like you said, you don't have a lobby, you don't have conference rooms, you don't have a theater or meeting space. But you do have, I think, some really interesting ideas about how people can connect with each other while they're on the road. Can you describe some of those things? Yeah, for sure. So imagine you've been... Everyone's been to a hotel bar before, right? I'm I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you've been to one. And we've had probably hit or miss experiences. For me, most of the time, if I'm not traveling somewhere metropolitan... It's just me drinking with the bartender or whichever local happens to, you know, amble in. But imagine if you are in a roomza and you are able to transport yourself to this virtual arc that has a bar station for every one of our locations. And you're able to walk from Berlin to Brooklyn to Fresno to Sacramento. And you're able to go and talk to these folks Imagine any brand, your favorite brand of hotel, and imagine you could be in a room with everyone that's staying in your favorite brand tonight. And the metaverse and VR and AR makes those things possible. And where there's white space in our product offering, anything that can't be delivered directly to your roomza, you'll experience in the metaverse. And we make it ultra accessible to people by leveraging the technology that already exists in our guest rooms like televisions. So if VR makes you nauseous like it does for many people, you can still experience it. You can still design your avatar. You can still have a fully engaged social experience using your Roomsa app, your computer, or using the television that's in your room. You know, when I first learned about this, I thought, wow, this is the future and it's so cool. And as you've been talking, I realized something that I think is very important, which is it's also really safe. It's a really safe way to connect with people on the road without being worried that you're going to get followed back to your guest room or something crazy is going to yeah. happen that I hadn't thought of that before. So I think that's an interesting extra twist. Yeah. And it also has a lot of really cool applications for work too, right? All of the the greatest thinkers of the past couple generations, you know, Bill Gates and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, et cetera, et cetera. If you subscribe to any of their thinking, they all believe that two-thirds of meetings for work are going to happen in some augmented reality in the future. And what and I think that hotels are in a very specific um, strategic position to take advantage of that to because the, the the struggle for the metaverse is how do you make it not stupid, right? How do you make it add real value, <laughs> right? And I hate to, but, but how do you make it add real value in people's lives? And we are uniquely situated at the intersection of the digital and built world to do that. Imagine you have a shareholders meeting 
during COVID, but your corporation's bylaws require that certain committees meet in person and sign documents. You can have a virtual conference. So we will actually have some meeting rooms at Rooms or Properties, but the way that it works is you go into the meeting room and there's an exact replica of that meeting room at each Rooms or Property and you put on your VR headset and you can set an empty seat across from someone who is sitting in that exact same environment. And then the table actually projects some pretty cool stuff in the middle. And you guys can have a collaborative whiteboard and be sitting across from each other. And you can also, again, do that from the comfort of your room using the television that's mounted above your desk. You don't have to use the goggles if you don't want to. Oh, but, wow. You know, and, you can, and you can do it from the room itself. So I, there's just a lot of really cool things that, that we can do. And yeah, the safety is a big part of it. The resiliency is a bigger part of it. How do we prepare ourselves for the next COVID? How do we prepare our industry for the next whatever? Resiliency, I think, has got to be one of the things that we're after when we're looking for innovation. The reason people leave the hospitality industry in droves, the reason we're overrepresented in the Great Resignation is because of our failure, I believe, to provide a durable safety net to our workers. Every time the economy hiccups, we lay off 25,000 people. So we're not going to be getting the best and brightest, and we're certainly not going to retain them. And I think if we can address that and have services and products like this hybrid virtual solution that are both cool and technological, but leverage our real estate space, engage our staff, and give us durable revenue streams despite what's happening in the greater economy. How do you meet face-to-face when you can't meet face-to-face, Susan? I guess in the metaverse, you know, we should probably describe what the metaverse is. I think that term is being thrown around a lot and people named um, Susan Berry, me, have occasionally (laughs) gotten confused between uh, what is the commercial, you know, like the company metaverse or the company meta versus what the general term refers to. Can you give us just a quick thumbnail of what that means? Yeah. uh, Well, as I understand it, Meta, I'm sorry, Meta's Facebook to me. and Correct. (laughs) So that's just how I think of it. I think of Meta as Facebook, and I know that they're doing a lot in that space and et cetera, et cetera. But I just think of them as a standalone company, more or less, that's breaking into that space. There are other folks that have been around for a lot longer. So I actually, you know, I'm not, I'm a hotel guy. I'm not an expert on uh, the Metaverse, but I did talk to someone who is. And his name is Michael Cohen. And he told me that ultimately the metaverse is a, a digital world or a virtual world that exists beyond the one that we inhabit, right? But that's fully realized, which means that we can have a conversation in a built environment that exists regardless of our participation in it, Susan. And that and that there and it's there all the time and it's static and that it's accessible to everybody. And then the three words that he gave me to describe it for you specifically were utility, engagement, and loyalty, with the utility being the challenge of the moment. I think he put it a lot better than I did. I said, don't make it stupid. He said, (laughs) make sure it has a utility. But I think, you know, that ultimately that's where we are. As you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from every single episode of Top Floor with at least a couple of practical, tangible ideas for their businesses or for their day-to-day lives. So I'm going to ask you some questions to elicit these specific tips. What kind of policies or practices do you think that hoteliers can implement now in their hotels to do a better job of honoring the dignity of their workers. You know, that's that's tough. 
It's my favorite question that you've asked so far because it really is the body of my life's work. Is and the reason I guess I've been such a terrible general manager is trying <laughs> or to wonderful. Right? It, it depends on who you ask, but uh, it really is trying to improve the lives of those people, people like my mom, right? Um, and I, I recognize the struggle of how difficult it can be. I, did, I wouldn't have gone out and started a brand new concept for the hotel business if I could have salvaged what I was trying to do from the current business. So I recognize that the tough position. So it's easy for me to sit here, Susan, and say, pay them more. I know everybody knows that. I know, but if that's available to you, pay them more, right? Obviously, if you're going to spend money on pizza parties, if you're going to spend money on awards, if you're going to spend, just give the money to them directly. It might not be as flashy. There may not be as, as photogenic, but it's going to build loyalty because that's what people really need, especially right now. If that's not an option, it's really about your mindset as a leader. I touched on it earlier. I never really thought about the guest experience that much because, again, I was solely focused on how to make the best experience for my internal guest. Start thinking about your employees the same way you think about your paying customers, the same way you think about your guests. We bend over backwards. We bend over backwards to you know, accommodate and to be good to our guests, right? Because we recognize that they're the source of our livelihood, but they are not. Unless you're a general manager or a director of sales and marketing who's out there cleaning every single room in your hotel every single day, it's, you know, you've got to reprioritize how you're viewing that. And when people ask for time off at the last minute, yeah, maybe it is to go to a concert, but if it's within your power to give it to them, give it to them. It sounds so simple, Susan. The advice, it really sounds so simple just to think of think to think of them as paying customers and try to prioritize them that way. Mr. Marriott said it best way back in the 1940s with his three-legged stool idea that I still think holds true today. When you put your people first, they put the guests first and the money takes care of itself. But we've got to get back to that with a renewed urgency. I don't think Mr. Marriott would appreciate the two-legged stool we've been operating with. Okay. I know that you have stayed at more than a thousand hotels purely from a guest perspective. So forget that you're a hotelier. Hard to do. I know. What's the most annoying common practice in hotels? And what's a common practice that you absolutely love? I hate those plastic keys. I hate them. I just, the plastic keys, I, 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 they're so bad for the environment. Did you know that the US hotel industry alone they uh, we accumulate over six Statue of Liberty's worths of non-biodegradable plastic each year. It's crazy. Holy mackerel! And I know that that is not a, like a, a negative on the card, but I feel so embarrassed going back to the front desk for the nineteenth time and being like, "I'm so sorry, uh, but um, I left everything in the room again, and my phone <laughs> is dead again." And then we have to play twenty-one questions for me to get back into my room. I hate that so much. I did it two weekends ago. I went to go get ice and I just walked out of the room without a key, yeah. like a big old raise your dog. hand. Raise your <laughs> hand if you feel yeah, raise your hand if you feel personally victimized by plastic hotel keys. <laughs> I I do. And that's why we don't have them at Roomza. There are no plastic keys ever. What about something that you absolutely love that is a common practice in hotels as a traveler? Oh, you know, it takes me a second to answer that because there's so many things. I, I've stayed in a thousand hotels or more. Gosh, probably more. But just because I love them. I love hotels. I love everything there is about it. I find it so comforting. You know, it used to be done a lot more that it was common practice that staff was trained to engage with guests on the floors. And they would like 
talk to you. And I, I speak, you know, I worked in the hotel industry. I speak some Spanish. And so I really would enjoy um, like having chit-chatty conversations with the staff. You don't get a lot of that anymore, but I, I guess that's my favorite thing, right? I really enjoy getting to get face-to-face with the folks. Because whenever I check into a hotel room and I'm blown away by how beautiful the bathroom is and how spotless the shower is, I, I want to meet the person who did that. I'm impressed. And I really love that part of it. Um, I think we've gotten away from it a little bit and the pandemic has has made that worse. Absolutely true. Now is the part of the show when we pull out our crystal balls, put on our wizard hats, get magic wands out. Like we're going to do all this magic, predict the future, all that stuff. That's so, my full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to know first is looking into your crystal ball. When can I stay in a rooms at hotel? Well, that's a really good question. Um, You and everyone else would like to know. I I would say that the earliest is probably early 2023. Excellent. And do you have a location yet or is it a toss-up right now? Yeah. So we have three that are currently under development. And then we're looking at a very strong fourth location now. So we've identified Seattle, Austin, and New York City as our inaugural launch markets. And we're looking at getting into Washington, D.C., here soon. That's exciting. What is a prediction that you have for the future of traditional hotels? You know, they're always going to be around. Well, maybe not always, but I certainly in our lifetimes are going to be around, right? I think I, I try to think about things in perspective and, and the impact that I can have and what the future looks like for someone from where I'm sitting, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the next 200 years there's always going to be that traditional hotel availability, but I think it will start to skew more to the higher price point and the luxury offerings and more boutique luxury offerings because it costs a lot of money to provide that heavy in-person service. I think the future of branded hotels you'll find uh, for the modern leisure and business traveler, a lot more contactless things, fewer kiosks, but more mobile check-ins. You know, a lot of what, we're developing at Roomza, I think, is inevitable in the industry. And it's that it's it's shifting a lot of that responsibility for the booking process and the room selection process to the guests where they want it. And I think that we'll see that adoption across everything. And, and the big brands are investing heavily in you know machinery that adapts to the labor force of the future. But again, we push back on that. They have to do that. They have to give you food from machines. They have to invest in robots and kiosks and all these things because they're still relying on this, what we believe is an outdated business model. So the future of hotels, I, I think it really depends on how we innovate. If we don't innovate and build better jobs, because I believe that better hotel stays start with better hotel jobs, better hotel margins start with better hotel jobs. And if we can't do that, then I think in the next couple of decades, we'll see, especially in the next 200 years or so, we'll see that only luxury hotels for the rich are truly hotels that offer that experience anymore. And that everyone else has been relegated to, you know, some sort of Airbnb type offering, staying in someone's home, however it's been platformed out. It's sort of uh, returning to a more historic, historically traditional model, right? That a hotel was for a very wealthy traveler, whereas a boarding house, i.e. an Airbnb, was for your garden variety, I'm going to pick up my horse in the next town kind of a person. Right. But we have to fight against that, right? Our entire industry, we have to fight against that. 
we have to try to preserve the things that are good about this industry. I know I talk a lot, of, a lot, a lot about the things that are bad because I think that it's urgent that we address them. But there are a lot of things that are good about this industry. The career advancement, the fact that you don't have to come from a rich family or go to a prestigious college to be able to you know, achieve great heights. Those are things that we can preserve. And we can't do that if we allow it to go back to that, right? If we allow it to go back to this gate kept and this you know, thing that isn't available to the masses where it's you know, people are priced out of it because of whatever, because even still, then we're going to be relying on exploitative labor and low wages to get that done. I don't think low wage labor should exist. I agree with you. What's next for you personally? Where's your next trip? Uh, Next week, actually, I'm going to Miami to stay uh, at a hotel that really helped, really helped inspire me to come up with Roomza. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say what it is, so I'm not going to, but um, I'm going to be there for the Independent Lodging Congress. And so I'm really excited to to be there with a lot of, you know, free thinking hoteliers, people who are are searching for innovative answers, just like me. Wonderful. And what about for your company? What's next for Roomza? What we're doing today, tomorrow, the day after that is building out the best culture and standard procedures that we can so that when these hotels do open that we're able to keep all these promises that we're making today. And we hope to set, to set an example. We hope to be a lifeboat among many. You know, our mantra at Rumza is be first. Don't worry about being the best. I don't think that we're going to be the best at this. I think that we're going to probably make a ton of mistakes. We're going to fail many, many more times that we, than we succeed. I mean, Michael Jordan, 950 something uh, game winning shots taken only made about what 170 of them, but that's all they write about. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, you're, you're bound to fail far, far more than you succeed. And I think that we'll continue to do that. We've pivoted so many times as practically a square dance at this point, <laughs> but, but that's what makes it fun. And I hope that other people follow our example and do the same thing. There are so many talented people out there. So many, and hospitality thinkers. If you're a general manager, if you're a director of sales and you've got an idea that you just can't let go of, and you think that you know the answer, you probably do. Okay, folks, before we tell Curtis goodbye, we are going to head down to the loading dock where all of the best stories get told. Going down. Curtis, what is a story that you would only tell me on the loading dock? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I don't think I've ever actually admitted this to anybody before. I was the opening general manager of a hotel and uh, the person from the brand was there. This was days before opening, maybe like two days before opening. And the person from the brand was there to do the activation for the property management system. And so she gets there. First of all, her arrival was awful. It was raining. It was in the <laughs> Pacific Northwest. It was muddy. The parking lot wasn't done yet. She tripped and fell <gasps> in the mud. And so by the time she gets into the conference room, she was already in a fantastic mood, (laughs) sarcasm. And um, then she comes to me and she says, Curtis, what kind of show are you running here? Where's the key server? And I was like, "Uh, do you have eyes? The key server is right there. She was like, yeah, but it hasn't been programmed. And I was like, well, program it. She was like, well, you have to get the key company to do that. And I didn't. Uh, yeah. So you had to get the key company to program the server before the brand could come and do the integration. Well, yours truly forgot to schedule the key company 
to come do the server work. So everything got shipped there, but I never scheduled the technician. I guess I was assuming that the pre-opening hotel ferry was going to do it because there's so many things to do. There's so many things. To oh do. my God, sometimes no you, kidding. Sometimes you just got to leave things to the ferry and somehow they, they get done sometimes. Uh, that one thing did not get done. I don't remember. I, I think I've trauma blocked out a lot of it. I don't remember exactly. <laughs> I don't remember exactly how I got, I, I, maybe I bribed them or like, I'm joking, of course, but I got on the phone with the lock company and to their credit, they got somebody out there within like 12 hours. Oh, wow. That's shocking. Yeah. I, and never once did I admit responsibility. <laughs> so did you have to postpone opening or anything? Or, or did, no, it just, that, did the no, magic every, happen? No. Somehow the magic happened. I know that shaved 10 years off my life. Easy. But somehow the magic happened. And yeah. Isn't Although it? she was so upset. Isn't it, was it unbelievable thing? the things that can get done in those 48 hours before opening that it looks like oh. it would take 48 days to accomplish. And then all you of mean a sudden... Like pouring, you mean like pouring and painting a parking lot? Exactly. Yeah. Or like the entire port cochet <laughs> getting built, which was my first hotel I opened. Didn't happen until five o'clock in yeah. the morning, the day of opening. Yeah. No, I, yes. Yes. 1000%. I don't know how, I don't know how it happens, but I can't do it anymore. I I guess I'm still going to be doing it, but it's, it's way different when it's a purpose-built hotel. Rumsa is just a core shell hotel inside of an empty floor. We're not, we're not digging swimming pools. Oh my goodness. Well, I know that when you're building those SOPs and culture that you talked about, that a key server is not going to have to be on the checklist, but I bet it will haunt you forever. Oh my gosh, it was the worst thing. And that's a big part of the reason why we don't have keys because <laughs> I don't want to ever put I and maybe even it took maybe it was whenever I was reading over the prompt, I was like, you know, was that me? Was I the problem? Did I forget? Yeah, like this is five years later. I'm like, wow, Curtis, it was you. <laughs> You're the villain. That is absurd. Well, Curtis Crimmins, thank you so much for being here. This was really fun. And I know that our listeners got some great food for thought. I really appreciate you riding with us up to the top floor. Thanks, Susan. Have a great day. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Thanks for listening. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash episode forward slash 22. Top Floor is produced by John Albano, who also composed and performed our elevated elevator music with vocals by Cameron Albano. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. 
Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode.